As you think about the gospel that Nicole just read, consider the theme with me, won't you? Generosity, fiscal realism, and the gospel faith. When you think about philanthropy, what are the words, images, and experiences that come to mind? I know it may seem like an odd question at the end of the seventh month of the year. It's the middle of the summer, for God's sake. We aren't even close to commitment or pledge Sunday. It may seem odd, but it's one of the questions that was posed this week in my course on religious fundraising. I mentioned this today, Christ Church, so that when I approach you regarding my final project, you will know that I am making a legitimate request. We were assigned to breakout groups, then reassembled to discuss our lists and the readings for the week. For this week's reading, we were assigned Henry Nouwen's book, A Spirituality for Fundraising. I began to think about how this reading converged with the lectionary texts for today, especially today's gospel. It causes us to ponder the question, is giving driven by mission or is mission limited by our giving? We are familiar with now and here at Christ Church. We are often presented with some of his ruminations as a spiritual quote, which often graces the cover of our worship bulletin. Clearly immersed in his Catholic tradition, yet saturated with humility and grace, this little book is a must read for all followers of Christ. He writes, from the perspective of the gospel, fundraising is not a response to a crisis. Fundraising is first, a form of ministry. It is a way of announcing our vision and inviting other people into our mission. Critics have declared this work, this small book, as an essential read for church leaders, for nonprofits, for businesses, and for business leaders. One critic posits each of Henry Nouwen's books explores one aspect or another of the inner life and the way of the heart. The central theme of Nouwen's writing is that our human and spiritual journey must be one of letting go of the illusion that our identity can be found in what we do, how much money we have or give away, or what others think of us. As this short book led me back to consider the parable of Jesus regarding the rich man from our text, I considered something else about Nouwen's writings. Living a spiritual life, he says, is fundamentally about claiming and reclaiming the truth of our eternal belovedness, he writes, and allowing the inner voice of love to be the compass that directs our thoughts, words, and actions. From this vantage point, whether asking or giving, the ground of our common humanity and our life's work is to accept the call to be deeply, deeply connected with unconditional love, with our own fragile humanity, and with brothers and sisters everywhere. It is that connection to humanity that is omitted from the thought process of the rich man in today's scripture found in Luke's gospel. Yes, Luke gave deference to the poor throughout his gospel, for in Luke's gospel, the act of giving to the poor is a central element of the sanctified life. The rich man in the parable only shows concern for himself. There is no regard for his neighbors, for those who have no land to produce their own crops, for the foreigner, the widow, and the orphan at the margins of society. So this was a serious point 
being made by Jesus. Yes, the man had great wealth. Sure, he had amassed a treasure trove of great possessions. So great until he thought he would protect them from the world and hoard them all to himself. Yes, this land produced a bountiful harvest. The argument could be made that he was a shrewd businessman with a copious stock portfolio. One could even say that because he had made strategic investments, he is set for life and does not have to worry about working any longer. Yes, he can entertain the notion of early retirement. Sure, he can retire and enjoy his life's savings well into his golden years without any concern or fear of lack. Hasn't this investment yielded the return we all are encouraged to strive for? If the answer is yes, then why is Jesus calling him a fool? Let us be clear, he is not a fool because of his wealth. He is not a fool because he has decided to save for the future. What the gospel writer has deemed foolish is the narcissistic attitude and behavior of the rich man. Not only did he not consider the needs of anyone else beyond himself, not even his staff, he gloated at the idea of having been self-made. That's right, he didn't even give credit to the people who helped him reap an abundant harvest, nor the creator who made it all possible. Despite barns filled to the brim, the man's days are numbered. He seems to forget this fact as he congratulates himself on his abundant wealth. Through the parable, Jesus points to the reality that we all must reckon with. There are no storage facilities in heaven. Or better still, the saying so many of us are familiar with and something my grandmother would frequently say, you can't take it with you. We are each called rich and poor alike to reflect carefully about what we want and why we want it. Have we been seduced into thinking about wanting more and more and more because that's the life we see on social media? Do we measure our lives, our success, even our standards of happiness by what is portrayed in all other forms of media? Have we been beguiled into thinking, much like this rich man in the text, that we live only for ourselves? Did you notice that when he speaks in this text, the rich man only speaks to himself? Did you make note that the only person he refers to is himself? What should I do, he says, for I have no place to store my crops. He never acknowledges any helpers, co-journeyers, or collaborators. He continues by saying, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Have we begun to think that we can secure our lives with our abundant possessions, just like this man? Wealth does not dismiss disease or depression. It does not immunize one to death and sorrow or other tragedies in this life. More importantly, the rich man has given no thought to what God might require of him. This man ignores the hand of God in his good fortune. He expresses no gratitude, not one iota. He has his own individual blinders on and therefore cannot see past himself. It's no wonder he tripped 
He is blind to the fact that his life is not his own to secure, but his life belongs to God. So that when God speaks, God reminds him of this and that God can demand it back at any time. Yes, it's the season of summer and many are vacationing. Some are enjoying their experiences of a staycation even, whatever their means or resources. But any way you want to look at it, it gives us a moment to reflect on the months gone by in this year and those which lie ahead. Where are we on our generosity scale? Does our fiscal realism match our gospel faith? As someone once said, money is always about more than money. Our spending, our saving, our general attitude toward material wealth are all invested with emotions and memories. As for a stewardship campaign, we don't need one to examine our relationship with God and our commitment to each other. At one point, I began to ask myself, why did I sign up for a summer course? Now I am reminded that summer offers a rare opportunity for reflecting on the intersection of faith and money. It may compel us to re-examine our commitments and reallocate our resources. Even in the midst of a changing national economy that is causing some of us to feel the pinch Midsummer planning can prepare us for a fall stewardship campaign without compromising our Christian principles, but elevates God's kingdom plan. Yes, the Federal Reserve met this past week and decided to increase interest rates in an effort to stave off a recession. So it would behoove us as a community of faith and followers of Christ to do a spiritual checkup, midsummer style. It gives us a chance to examine our perspective on generosity and make efforts to make the necessary changes. It gives us a chance to examine our perspective on generosity and make efforts to align our fiscal realism with our gospel faith. We must resist the temptation to fall prey to the idolatrous thinking, like the rich man in the text, who had no concern for the poor or anyone else for that matter. With all the excess at the center of his life, the rich man falls into the trap of idolatry often perpetuated by our secular culture. We are constantly barraged with messages that abundance represents the good life. We are encouraged to spend more, have more, and use more, to supersize and maximize, to ban on the appearance of wealth as a sign of the good life. The parable Jesus shares characterizes this as folly. So reading, hearing, now and thoughts during this time, challenges us to remember the spiritual things above all that is temporal and invites us to not only align our perspectives with something more durable than the volatile fluctuations of a global economy, but to commit to a deeper relationship with God. Instead of seeking larger storage barns, we can participate in the eternal economy of God's grace through Jesus Christ. In the end, now and believed that there is a ministry in giving financially and that it is as spiritual as giving a sermon, offering a prayer, feeding the hungry, or visiting the sick. Where are you on the scale of generosity?